Microsoft posted big numbers, and we've got our first look at Halo. Happy special Friday, friends, and it's a special Friday because it's one of the rare occasions where this podcast lands on my birthday. So it's a it's a little bit of a, I don't know, whatever, happy end of July, whatever you want to call it. It was a big week in the world of Microsoft yet again, primarily from a financial perspective. Microsoft dropped their earnings and they blew it out of the water for, well, year-over-year comparison. A, a quick highlight here is Microsoft posted revenues of $46.2 billion and net income of $16.5 billion. That is how many dollar dues Microsoft put into the bank to save for later investments or distribution or share buyback or whatever they want to do with it, but it represents a 47% increase year over year. If it wasn't clear that Microsoft was one of the big winners from the mass migration to remote work, this should pretty much lay it out because this is the full year picture of Microsoft during, well, the last fiscal year for them. And there's really no other way to say no other way to say it other than they, they absolutely crushed it. Uh, they are growing just crazy amounts. Now, it's not completely rosy for every single business work. Uh, there's a couple notable exceptions, primarily surface. Surface revenue plunged 20%, 20% year over year, primarily because, as we all know, the chip shortage. Also, last year during that same quarter, that end of the year quarter for Microsoft, uh, I had heard from reputable people inside the company that just about every single surface that was produced was sold except for a couple exceptions i think like the pro x was one of them and uh, might have been the studio but just about everything else like the laptops and the pros were completely sold out and so when you're comparing that year over year of basically selling out completely and well having challenges just being able to build them in general that's how you get a massive 27 20% plunge in revenue now xbox was a little bit interesting so gaming revenue as an org overall org was up 11%, but content and services, which is what Microsoft wants everyone to pretty much judge Xbox on, was actually down 4%. The revenue being up 11% is actually pretty easy to explain because Microsoft has new consoles and one of those new consoles sells at 499 and that is significantly higher than the revenue or the, the cost for the last generation Xbox One at this time. So you sell those, your revenue is going to pop. And so it's not that, it's an interesting notable figure that re overall revenue is up, but more more importantly, especially how Microsoft is telling us to judge them, is that content and services revenue was down 4%, but they noted that that was primarily because of third-party title transactions, aka Fortnite microtransactions, uh, were not propping up the org like they had been previously. Another big milestones Microsoft announced, 250 million monthly Teams users were also announced. Now, this is interesting for a couple reasons. One, it's 250 million, which is massive, uh, roughly about 105 million more than the last figure Microsoft got us, but they're also changing the barometer or the metrics, if you will. Microsoft was telling us daily active users for Teams. The last number we got was 145 million. They're now shifting to monthly numbers, which is 250 million monthly users of Teams, which is obviously a more favorable metric for Microsoft and probably why they are switching to that. But is you give them some fair comparison, I guess, maybe, I don't know. They do report monthly active devices for Windows 10 also in the monthly increment, not in the daily. So at least I guess it's consistent, but then I don't know why they didn't do it consistently from beginning, but 
anyways, here we are. Um, other big news, Microsoft has also announced that they're going to be retiring the semi-annual channel for Windows Server. There should be champagne popping. There should be good things. They're moving entirely to the LTSC channel. If you don't quite understand this, but what the Microsoft was doing crazily is they were updating their Windows Server product twice a year. It, it, it made no sense. If you have Windows Server, the last thing you want to do is run an OS update. And Microsoft says, well, you don't want to run any. We're going to give you two. And they did that for a while. And now they're back to just doing the LTSC releases, which means much longer longer increments between significant updates, which is a good thing, and it took Microsoft way too long uh, to get there. Also, on the Windows side, Windows 11 now has a beta channel option if you want to do that. It is the same release in the dev channel, and I will tell you that it is very stable. The only issue I have run into is that ShareX, which is a third-party screenshotting tool, does not work uh, correctly in this release. And so ShareX is aware of it, and they said we're not going to fix it until we re understand if it's our build or if it's actually Windows 11, so just keep that in mind. Jumping into the little bit of gaming news this week, we got a Flight Simulator is now available, and there is a pretty gnarly bug. If you played it on the PC like I had, when you go and play it on your Xbox, it's going to default to keyboard and mouse. So what you actually have to do is plug a mouse into your console and then go and change the default input method to controller, and that will resolve everything. Otherwise, on my Series X, it plays wonderfully. I still am terrible at the game but it's a lot of fun to play. It's a very casual game. I mean, the way I think about it, there's two types of people who play uh, play flight sim. People like me who just want to go and fly around and look at the awesome visuals and the beauty of it. And then there's the people who have the full home simulator and put on the, the suit and jacket and their hat and carry luggage into the simulator and fly this thing like it's an actual simulator. And so the, I am very much of the casual use. It's a great way to do that. And it's it's a neat it's a neat little game or simulator, I should say. I shouldn't even call it a game. But I like to think of it as a game because there's a bunch of challenges in there. Specifically, the landing challenges are typically my favorite. And that is what I often do uh, when I've got just a few minutes to sit down and play because it's a lot of fun. Halo Infinite Technical Preview is now out and available. And it's very much a technical preview. It's not anything close to the final game or in any capacity. Because right now you're playing pretty much against bots. That is what you have to do if you are wondering, hey, am I in part of the technical preview? You should check your inbox because Halo, I was at Microsoft, but Halo, that Halo Infinite team was sending out invites and you go and register and you can download it through an insider app and then you can start playing, but you're against bots. They did tease that maybe they'll open it up against PvP later in the technical preview, but right now it's just you versus the bots and you can get a little bit of an early taste of what Halo Infinite is like. Also, more interestingly, Forza Motorsport 7 is being removed from storefronts in September. Now, this might seem a little odd, but I suspect I might know why. I'm going to hedge that this is a licensing thing that Microsoft only has licensing for the car titles, brands, or music potentially for X amount of years, and that time has expired, and so they are now going to be removing that here uh, in the near future. So just keep that in mind. I don't believe this, by the way, I don't believe this impacts you if you bought the game. That I think that's going to come up, but if you own the game, they're not removing it from your library. You just won't be able to purchase it. So if you've been holding out and wanting to purchase it, but you have not, you should go ahead and do that. Now, on to my favorite part of the week, the questions. So first question up, Matt Dinah says, first, you look terrible for turning 12. Just embrace it. And thirdly, happy B-Day. Uh, yes, I am turning 12. That is probably whatever, how old everybody thinks I am. Anyways, Windows 11, the real Windows as a service. So this is, there's two 
actually, there's three things that jumped in my mind. Windows 10 was built as Windows as a service, and I would I could make a pretty solid argument that it's probably one of the worst decisions Microsoft has made, aside from Windows 8 when it comes to servicing Windows. It was a complete disaster. It didn't, never really worked as intended. It was mixed messaging. They were never clear on how the cadence was going to roll out um, in an effective manner for the long term, and they had things like the naming convention changes. They had servicing life. It was a mess. It was really hard to follow the entire time. Now you have Windows 11, which is going to a pretty stable release cadence once a year, supported for 24 months or 36 months if you're in the enterprise, and that is really good. The true Windows as a service is actually Windows 365, so that is that is the true Windows as a service that Microsoft has been wanting, but now they're finally getting it with Windows 365. But I believe, and this is what Matt Thinus is hinting at, is he said, is the best, is Windows 11 taking a better approach? We have the base OS, which has been locked down. Honestly, we've all been running the base OS since June, and now they're just doing cumulative updates and core f to the UI through uh, cumulative updates and other monthly fixes. I think this is substantially far more feasible because Microsoft can do it more rapidly. It's less invasive to install, and I think this is definitely the right approach that something Microsoft should have done. Uh, Sydney2k says, happy birthday. Thank you, Sydney. It says, I've been hearing doom and gloom on stories on high-end pre-built gaming computers are going to be banned in California due to the new bill that has just passed in the state legislature. Is this a case, a case of chicken little-itis? Or are we going to have 4K20? Are we going to have issues getting all this in, uh, in California? So there's a bill or a, a I don't think it's been signed into law yet but I think it's well maybe it has been um, but what happened was is that there's a an energy efficiency regulation that's coming through and Dell says hey we can't sell high-end gaming PCs in California because it's not going to meet those requirements this is an interesting one primarily because I think this might be the potentially unintended consequences of litigation coming through not fully understanding the actual ramifications how it impacts everything because there's a significant amount of creative industry in California especially in filmmaking you've got just tons of game studios and everything else. And if they are not able to buy high-end PCs for things like ZBrush and video editing, that's going to be, honestly, a pretty significant challenge because those devices are absolutely needed. And I'm not quite sure how this is all going to work out. I think it's still a little bit early to see what truly is the impact here. But it is a little concerning for anybody in those industries or people who just want to buy super high-end games. I guess maybe you have to go to Vegas and uh, buy, your, buy your computer over there. That would be quite the thing if there was... Like, we're, I live in Ohio, and primarily fireworks are banned, like large fireworks, but in, in Indiana, they are not. So as soon as you cross the state border, there's massive fireworks shops. And I wonder if as soon as you cross the state border out of California, if there's just going to be computer shops that, that pop up. Would be hilarious. I don't exactly expect that. So uh, let's see here. Uh, Dashish says, just wondering if you have looked at the frame, framework laptop at all and if you have plans on getting one for review. I don't think it'll be getting one for re review. The framework laptop looks super interesting because I believe it's a supposed to be on paper, a completely customizable and modular laptop, which is not something we see because we always hear from companies like Microsoft and Apple and everybody else. Like it's, it's hard to build thin and light and repairable. Well, Microsoft has actually backtracked on that because they've already seen some where you can pull out the, uh, the the storage drive and replace that. And so the framework laptop tries to break that mold and it looks interesting. I have not personally had my experience on it, but there we go. It does look interesting. I don't, I, when these boutique startups always happen, it's always interesting to see if they're able to survive because if you come up with a good idea in a laptop space, the chances are one of the bigger players can obviously replicate it if there's any sort of success, if they find value in that, but we'll see. We'll see. Jay Wolf says, uh, with the recent Microsoft earnings report that happened earlier this week, why is Microsoft being so shy when it comes to updated Game Pass subscription numbers? I suspect that maybe... 
I suspect that they might, I'm not quite sure. I have a couple thoughts that run through my head. The first one is that maybe they're not hitting the marks that they want, which that would be pretty bad for Microsoft. And that would uh, upset the narrative that they're all in on gaming, according to their CEO. But I, I'm not sure if that's it. They might be trying to space some of this stuff out because they already knew that they weren't going to have a great quarter because the content services revenue would, were down 4%. And so maybe they're trying to space out some of the good news. I'm not quite sure. But Microsoft needs to be more transparent about it. And I'm surprised they're not getting pushed harder for that because if you're saying, hey, we want to be judged on this metric, and not just specifically Game Pass, but the Xbox content services, if that's what Microsoft wants to be judged on, then they should be more transparent specifically with that. That would give them a pass for not Game Pass, but give them a pass for not giving out explicit hardware numbers, which again, they also have not shared. But the, one of the problems is that Microsoft is so big, so big, uh, that these numbers just probably aren't material overall to the org. Uh, TechSag says, sort of off topic, but I recall your comment that recharging your car on your trip from home to Florida was the biggest negative on using the Tesla for that trip. Today's story popped up in my news feed. Um, it says one in five electric Californians with electric cars might go back to gasoline because charging was too time-consuming and too difficult. I think somebody like you with the charging at home isn't likely to do that, but would you comment? So first off, when you read one in five people who have an electric car might go back to gas or will go back to gas, that means 80% of people who have an electric car don't plan to change, which is actually a much better and more favorable statistic. It's all going to come down to your charging capabilities. If you can charge at your house, it's way more efficient. But if you live in an apartment complex where you cannot charge and you're always trying to figure out how you're going to get to the next charger or find an open charger that is a totally different scenario so it's very much right now based on your capability of being able to charge so uh that's kind of the way i look at it is if you have convenient charging it's super convenient if you don't then it's it's massively inconvenient uh brother not says uh anything ever come of the penrose review no they never stopped they never responded to my emails <laughs> uh they actually they responded to one and then they didn't respond to any follow-up um and then he says two are there any new features any current or near features on the Model Y you wish yours had or you are you content with your purchase? Well, first off, it's it's with like really mixed emotions because I am ex- I'm very content with my car. I'm, I love my car. Um, but I do wish that it had the heated steering wheel that came out a little bit after. But now the problem is, is that like, let's say, well, I could just go buy another one and sell my current car for whatever. The problem is, is that I think the car is now like $3,500 or $4,000 more than I paid for it uh, almost a year ago. Well, not almost a year ago. Um, about what 10 months ago. So on one hand, it's like, what I, do I want the heated steering wheel? Absolutely. Am I willing to spend a significant amount of money to get that functionality? Absolutely not. Um, there's also a new bioweapon mode feature coming, but I hear that you'll be able to retrofit existing cars. And so that'll be interesting to see if I end up doing that, but everything else, I, the new, uh, center console that my car does not have, I still have the old OG, uh, Maybe, but that's not something I, I bothers me all that much. So really just the heated steering wheel, I think, is the only thing. Uh, JNBCK says, happy 12th birthday. You've probably answered this before, but do you study the questions of the week ahead of time or wing it live? The majority of it, the time, I wing it live. I will tell you that I do occasionally look, but right before I sit down and do this, um, I don't look. So typically I post the thread. Uh, around lunchtime on Thursdays. And if I see it popping up with a bunch of questions during, you know, while I'm working that afternoon, I'll typically take a look. But there were about six or seven questions that came in before this, before, like after that time, if you will. And um, so I did not look at them and, you know, you just kind of wing it live. That's the way you do it. That's part of the fun of it. And it gets you really just sort of out of the brain and, and keeps you on your toes. And last question comes from Mr. PKI. 
Here's everyone's favorite question of the week. Now with Windows 11 coming out with a new UX, will we see Windows Server shifted to use the new desktop and experience like what happened with Windows 8 and Server 2012? Or will Windows Server retain legacy Windows 10 style start menu? This is a good question. And I suspect, at least for the time being, it will retain Windows 10 legacy uh, interface. Primarily because, as we have learned with Windows 11, it's really just sort of a, a top dressing right they can service that independently of the underlying OS and so it would not surprise me if Microsoft keeps the Windows 10 interface for the time being because it's more stable and better known and just easier to use for people who are running Windows Server candidly than what we see with Windows 11 that being said Microsoft could add it at any time but I suspect that they're now going to this LTSC model. I suspect that they're going to try to keep it nice, safe, and stable because it's a server OS. It's not a user OS. So we will see. But I, I would hedge that they're going to keep the Windows 10 style interface. That being said, it is Microsoft and it is a new day. There we go, guys. That wraps it up. It was sort of a quiet week. It was the end of July, which is always sort of a, a quiet time. We are going to start to see more traction, I believe, in August. And September and October are always jam-packed. And so as always, folks, thanks for hanging out. And make sure to keep it subscribed, subscribed here because the only BS on this podcast is me.